ever tried to convince someone of something that was completely ridiculous? Uh, yeah, okay. <clears throat> there, there, are, there are a few people nodding. The young people are going, we just call that lying. Um, but <clears throat> um, I remember when I was uh, a teenager, I guess I'm 18 to 20 or so, uh, my younger brother, who's a couple of years younger than me, was playing footy. He was a really good football player growing up. And... Um, uh, and he was playing in the game. I can't remember the exact details of the game, but I guess he was probably in an under-17 or something like that. But he was playing at one of those country venues, uh, well, at least out of the city sort of venues. And a mate, and of, a mate of mine and I went to watch the game. And what we didn't realise, because we'd only ever seen him, uh, you know, sort of playing footy around the city, is when you go to some of these country venues, you have to pay to get into the game. So we roll up just thinking we're going to walk in and stand on the sidelines and give him a cheer. And there's a lady at a little booth thing saying that it costs, I can't remember what it was, you know, back in the day, 2 or $3 or $5 or something to get in. And we didn't have any money. We'd just shown up to go and watch the football. Uh, but we noticed the sign said, you know, adults with this much, kids under 13 were free. <laughs> right? And I'll tell you, we're 18, 19, 20. <laughs> But we told the lady we were under 13 and so we were coming in and not paying and she looked at us clearly like, there's no way you're under 13. <laughs> so in the spur of the moment, we told her that we were and we were part of the school weightlifting team. <laughs> <laughs> and we were taking steroids <clears throat> in order to pursue our dream of being Olymp... This is the truth. This has actually happened. <laughs> of being Olympic, Olympic weightlifters, and that's why we look so much bigger and older than we actually were, but we were indeed 13 years old. <clears throat> the lady did not believe us, but said, it's really funny, you can go in for free. <clears throat> true, true story. I can't remember anything about the football. I can just remember trying to convince this lady that we were weightlifters on steroids. And anyway, it happened. And I bet you've got your own story of, you know, some ridiculous... Maybe it's at home or with your... You know, it's some time when you've tried to convince something of someone... Convince someone of something. It's just ridiculous whether it was, you know, seriously or not. We're in a series uh, where we're talking about sharing our faith. And let's be honest, for lots of us, the idea of sharing our faith feels like trying to convince someone of something that's pretty ridiculous. Um. Jesus' final words to his followers before he left earth were to go and make disciples of all nations. And for 2,000 odd years since that moment, since those words, people who follow Jesus have been sharing the good news of Jesus with the world around them. Desperate for other people to know what they know, for other people to share what they share and experience what they experience in terms of the love and the goodness and the forgiveness and the grace of God. And just, just doing anything they can to share that message with other people, not because they have to, but because they want to. Because Jesus has made such a positive impact on their life that they want everyone they meet to have that same opportunity. You know, like when you, when you see a, you go see a good film or you go to a terrific restaurant and, and for the week or two, you just want to tell everyone, you know what, I went to see, you've got to go and see this film, it's really great. Have you ever eaten at such and such a restaurant? You should go there, the food's fantastic. Get along there. But still today, for many Christians, for many followers of Jesus, when you start talking about sharing your faith, for people it's, it's awkward or it's scary. What if I say the wrong thing? 
What if, what if someone, what if a conversation does start and someone asks me a question and I don't know the answer to it? What if someone gets angry at me or, or doesn't like me? This series is about trying to be as practical as we can to help you overcome those hurdles in your life. We talked last week about the why of sharing faith, saying that if you don't, if you don't understand the why, if you can't get your hands around the why of sharing your faith, then the how part doesn't really matter too much at all. We talked about, we talked about this, uh, this idea that God created a perfect world and that, and that people made a mess of this world. And since the very first pages of the Bible... God promised that he would bring a someone, that he would do something, bring a saviour to fix the world and to solve the problem, to fix the mess that we've created. And the Old Testament part of our Bible is a, is a, a really a 2,000-year wait for that person to come, waiting for this saviour. The word they used in, we used to talk about it last week, is this idea of a messiah a saviour that will come and fix the mess that we've made. And that the story of Jesus, and we're heading into Christmas, uh, and, and the wonder of Christmas, the reason that Christmas is such a deal is because it's that moment when the saviour arrives. That's why, that's why Christians have celebrated Jesus, because it's this moment where the whole world sort of breathes a, almost a sigh of relief and says, he's here. But you've got to understand that why. If you don't, if that doesn't, if that hasn't sort of changed you from the inside, if there's not something when you hear that story, when you think about Christmas in this case, when you hear that story of the Saviour coming, if you don't get that why, that yes moment, then talking about the how doesn't matter. So we started talking about the why last week, but we're going to in the next couple of weeks talk about the how. And when it comes to how we share our faith, there are, there are two pretty obvious ways that people share their faith. One is with their words and one is with their, act, with their actions. What we say and what we do. And I want to say straight up, and you've heard me say this before if you've been around this place, both are equally important, our words and our actions. And I say that because every now and then you meet someone who says, well, the actions part don't matter so much. I'm just going to speak the words and, you know, the rest doesn't make much difference but Jesus we said before Jesus life and the life of the early church doesn't support that sort of idea or argument at all that Jesus got life on life around people he hung out with people he cared for people he listened to people he was deeply in their lives he was not just a sort of a talking mouthpiece from over here and the early church that sprang up in Acts and the church we read about in our in our Bibles all through that are stories and examples and, and, uh, and little, little sort of Easter eggs, if you like, of the way that the church is loving their local community, the way that they're doing things for people, the way that they're acting out their faith. But I've also heard people say from time to time that, well, I don't need to talk about my faith. I just, I just sort of live it out. You know, and sometimes people like that, uh, they quote, have you heard that quote that says... Um, uh, share your faith at all costs and use words if necessary. It's a neat, that doesn't come from the Bible. Um, uh, a lot of people say it comes from St. Francis of Assisi, but when I was looking it up, I found biographers of St. Francis of Assisi and they're very angry that it's attributed to him because apparently he didn't say that either. Um, no one quite knows where it came from, but the idea is simple. It is, if I act godly enough, 
then people would just sort of get the picture, right? And I've said this before and I'll say it again, but can we be really honest? The idea that my life or your life is just so extraordinary that people are going to see the way that you behave and just come to Jesus in the moment. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to, I don't want to sort of point any fingers, but let's be honest. I mean, surely Jesus himself acted more godly than any of us are ever going to, and he still used words to connect the dots, right? So I figure if it's good enough for him, you know. So sharing our faith is always a combination of the both, of the things that we say and the things that we do. And today we're going to focus on the things that we say part, right? You can come back next week and we're going to talk about the things that we do. But today I want to talk about the things that we say, how we share our faith with words. Because way back, you know, only, only uh, 10, 20 years after, um, after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter would write to the early church uh, in 1 Peter 3.15 and he would say, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to say something when someone asks. Because sometimes someone might ask you about your faith. So you're a Christian. Why is that? What does that mean? Sometimes people will just ask about your behaviour. Why do you do that? Why don't you do that? You know, all of our friends, we all do this, but you don't do that. Or we all don't do that and you do, do you know, they'll ask about that. Or sometimes just straight up people ask, what do you do on the weekend? They'll ask you, what are you doing for Christmas? And there are opportunities. Someone asks a question, how will you answer that? When someone asks about your weekend, will we just talk about what you did on Saturday and Sunday afternoon? When someone asks about Christmas, will you just talk about the family lunch and the holidays? Always be prepared, Peter says, to give an answer. To talk about the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. For lots of people, for lots of us, talking about our faith is really scary. And I haven't got any statistics on this, but I'll bet anything it's the number one reason that people are nervous about sharing their faith is because of the talking part, you know? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I don't know the answer? What if I look stupid? What if someone just looks at me and says, no, 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 don't talk to me about that? So today we're going to get really practical, probably more practical than you ever have in church before, and talk about what to say when you share your faith. And I want to suggest to you that there are two ways to respond when you talk about your faith. The first is to talk about your experience, to talk about your story. And the second is to talk about Jesus' story. So to talk about faith from your perspective and to talk about Jesus' perspective. I'm going to talk a bit about both this morning. The first way is to talk about your own story. To quite simply talk about the difference that faith has made in your life. What was your life like before Jesus or without Jesus? What made you follow Jesus? Why was it that you decided? I mean, I'm sure if you're like me growing up, I had lots of friends and, you know, they didn't decide to follow Jesus. What was it in my life that made me say, this is the way I want to go? And maybe most importantly, 
What's the difference that Jesus has made in your life? You know, what are the sort of the benefits of saying, I'm a follower of Jesus? Because can I be perfectly honest? If you can't tell someone the value in your life of following Jesus, the benefits, if you like, of following Jesus, why would they follow Jesus? I mean, imagine I bump into an old high school friend and she tells me that she's just come back from a holiday to Malta. Now, I don't know where Malta is, maybe not. I've heard that it's a country, but I don't know the first thing about Malta. In fact, she tells me that she holidays in Malta every year. She loves Malta so much, she's bought a holiday house in Malta. And I would say to her, why? What is it about Malta that makes you want to travel there all the time? Imagine if she says to me, I don't know. No, I just, because my parents always travelled to Malta. Like if she responds anything like that, what's the chance of me putting Malta on my holiday destination list, right? About a big zero. But if she says to me, Matt, I've got a Malta of you because the weather in Malta is just perfect all year round. The food is amazing in Malta. You've never tasted Maltese food. I, I know you love food, Matt. You should go there just for the food. Malta's an island, Matt, and it's surrounded by beaches everywhere. Everywhere you go, there's a beautiful beach in Malta. Uh, almost everyone speaks English in Malta, so while you get all these cultural experiences... I did look up some things about Malta, by the way, folks. <laughs> you know, it's a great place to holiday. because Now, that's only a couple of sentences. But now what's the chance of me saying... I should explore a holiday in Malta. Much higher, isn't it? Just because she said, look, here's the benefits. Here's what I love about Malta. Here's what I think you might love about Malta. So we're going to spend some time this morning thinking about our own faith stories. What is it about your life? What is it about your experience with God, your experience with Jesus? And this, folks, this doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are or how long you've been a follower of Jesus. This has got nothing to do with how much you know the Bible or anything like that. This is just you talking about your experience. What it is that you value about being a Christian in your own life. Not in a friend's life. This isn't talking about someone else's life. This isn't talking about the life of some famous person that, you know, you saw a story about them on social media. This isn't beginning a sentence with, well, you know, I heard someone say, you know, there's a preacher who says, this is your experience. What's the value of Jesus in your life? The second way to talk about faith is to talk about Jesus and his story. And this is the part, let's be honest, that gets scary for most people because I haven't memorised the whole Bible, right? What do I say? What if someone asks me a tricky question about Genesis? What if someone asks me a tricky question about Lamentations and I can't even still find Lamentations in my Bible? I believe it's there somewhere. People always tell me it's there somewhere, but I've, I've never found it yet. Twenty years after the resurrection of Jesus, Paul, who by that time was a leader in the church, wrote a letter to one of the churches that he'd helped start in the city of Corinth. At the time, Corinth was 
sort of a big, important city, a really, real kind of key city in that part of the world. But the church in Corinth was tiny, little group of people, possibly not much bigger than what we are in this place today. Tiny little group of Christians. They didn't have a building. There was no sign out the front. Uh, there was nothing like that. There were a little, little group of Christians almost certainly meeting in, in someone's home or maybe in a corner of a public space somewhere. And he writes this letter to them. He actually wrote two letters, at least two letters uh, to the church in Corinth. And we've got copies of them. They're in our Bible. They're called 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, just because it's the first letter to the Corinthians and the second letter to the Corinthians. If you look up the first of those letters, in chapter 15, Paul writes this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you've received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. 